Good morning. Welcome to Conversations with Friends with Mary Almwake, exploring ways to live our lives more fully in this wonderful world. We welcome your calls and thoughts at 242-7800. Conversations with Friends is brought to you on KAOI by Unity of Maui, where the heart is at home. Now, here's your host, Mary Almwake. And my co-host, Jim Jacobson. What a beautiful day on Maui. Jim, good morning. Good morning, Mary. It is another beautiful day here. And we're in the resurrection time, you know, new spring, new life. Um, What a great, great celebration. We bless all people on Maui. There is a new life. There's a new vibration, a a new creation. And yesterday's Daily Word was new life. And uh, today's is praying for others. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, because if we understood, uh, so many times we say, I'm worried about someone yeah. or I'm concerned about someone. You're, then and you're, that's just negative that, pain. you're sending that negative vibration out. And if they're already ill or already depressed, you just added to the vibration. Yeah. But if you go into a place within you that's like today's celebration, the yeah. new life, the beauty of Maui, then you bring that person into your consciousness and you enfold them with that life, that yeah. love, that grace you you whatever whatever is quickened in them you at least send a positive possibility mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. opposed to piling on you know how we say you know somebody's down and you pile and on you put it right on top yeah but we do that with our consciousness and just saying i'm worried about that is totally sending it's a out that vibration prayer. yeah it's saying it's i don't prayer. believe That's god good. in them yeah. can overcome this yeah. i'm i don't think they're up to whatever they're going and for through for those and of us who came from families that are that worrying is just part of the culture part of you know you're always a worrier, but and you just have to say that's the wrong place to put the vibration. Well, if we understood how consci- consciousness is a real thing, it's a real vibration. We're going to be talking to one of the world's, um, I think, really clear, certainly to the Western world, one of the clearest enunciators of how consciousness works. Jim did a fabulous interview with Deepak Chopra while he was here on the island, and uh, I, I, I had the chance to listen to him four different times, once for an hour and a half and once for about three hours. And I just came around along. I went to the Borders, bought his books, have been studying <laughs> him. But we're just going to be lifted today. But he understands consciousness, and one of them is we're always attracting whatever we're vibrating at. Absolutely. He was on um, Larry King Live last night, and he's on Conversations with Friends today on yes, this program. Yes, he is. And, and Maui has been blessed. And that's one of the things you think about Maui welcomes people on a regular basis. You know, it's home for people like Ram Das mm-hmm. and so many great people. And then the visitors on any given week, really beautiful souls come. And two weeks from today, the Dalai Lama. That is exciting. Are you are you just totally looking forward to that? I, I think if you're not, you don't know the power of his vibration. There's very few people on the planet that vibrate as high as he does. And I'm sure there's yogis in India and Mm -hmm. masters in monasteries. There's very few people on the public arena Mm -hmm. that vibrate at the level of his consciousness, if Mm -hmm. you're a David Hawkins fan. But just the the last pope had such a resonance wherever he went, even Mm -hmm. when he could hardly... Uh, articulate in his language because of Parkinson's, his vibration of love was so real that you got it whether there were millions of people around him, and, and I certainly am not of his own his own spiritual path, but you couldn't miss his mm-hmm. essence, and I feel the same with the Dalai Lama. I've, I've sat with as close to him as you mm-hmm. many, many times, mm-hmm. and I've also sat in arenas with 5,000 people, and you will feel his essence. And mm-hmm. I'm always amazed, Jim, I've heard two or three people say, oh, it's going to be hot, oh, I can't believe the crowds, and I go, <laughs> Stay home. 
Just yeah. stay home. You don't want to break that. <laughs> don't, you yeah. know, no, but I mean, you have a chance to sit with one of the great masters on the planet. And yeah. if you can't be hot for a couple hours, stay home. Yeah. You know, you'll get it from somebody. Some I mean, I don't mean that as a judgment. Salam. I went to Dar Salaam. Dar Salaam. When you when you were there, it was not only hot, but you had to deal with all sorts of things. Being, I had you know, to, yeah, ten thousand people 10, in a little mountain town where they only had like you know a thousand hotel rooms. Um, it, but every minute of it was precious. And, yeah. you know, the Tibetan refugees that live there on like $50 a month are just grateful to be in the same vibration as the right. Dalai Lama. Right. So, it, you know, it's however you hold it. But um, vibration is everything. And uh, for all of us, the greatest gift we give is to lift our consciousness, mm-hmm. our kindness factor. Mm-hmm. And one of the fun things that Deepak did say, and I don't think you got it on your radio interview, but uh, he and Ram Das are having a really wonderful conversation about when you awaken to your spiritual essence, the vibration mm-hmm. is joy. Mm-hmm. And they were talking, wow, well, it's clearly the Dalai Lama's vibration is joy. So Ram Das shared, and I don't want to misquote him, but something about he was, you know, why, didn't, why doesn't the Dalai Lama talk about joy? Why does he always <laughs> say about happiness, happiness? Yeah, happiness yeah. is, you know, attached to something in the world. You know, I'm happy because I got the job. I'm happy because my kids are doing well. Something out there makes you happy. And, but joy is an inner reality of knowing the presence of the divine. And, and Deepak says, his English is not very good. <laughs> <laughs> so really, the Dalai Lama means he joy. Meant joy. <laughs> he meant joy. He just he translated it as happiness. That's great. Well, it was a wonderful opportunity. Uh, it was great to have Deepak here with us, and it was a very intimate gathering. Uh, there were about what forty people who attended this yes, very, a very intimate goodness. event. And uh, you a were week, there. Yeah. yeah, it was it was an intense thing. Well, you did a great interview, Jim. So, uh, do you want to start? Why or, don't Why um, don't we start? We can talk about it. There There are different uh, cuts of this interview. In this In this first segment, uh, we talk about uh, Deepak and and welcome him to Maui. His thoughts about Maui, and we open up talking about planes of consciousness. Which was so the there's so many things that I want to talk to you about. I guess the first question is, what brought you to Maui to this to this event with uh, Ram Das? Um, simple. Uh, Ram Das wrote me a letter and said, would I come? And I said, yes. And uh, you said you've been here many times and that you enjoy Maui. Uh, what, what, is there anything, you know, a lot of people feel that there's some special energy here, some, some real heart connection. Do you feel that? Yeah, although I believe that the energy comes from us wherever we go, so that we have to be independent of the environment. In fact, uh, the environment is a projection of our consciousness. Having said that, um, Maui is very beautiful. It's very lush. It has some um, very ancient um, vibrations. Now, one of the things that you've been talking about here are the planes of consciousness, as as you call them. How would you describe that to someone just in a in a quick uh, sentence or two? Well, just like people listening to uh, this program right now are tuned into a particular frequency of electromagnetic radiation. And whilst they're tuned into this particular one, there are several others broadcasting which they're not tuned into, and they all coexist simultaneously. So too, consciousness, which is non-local, expresses itself as locations in space-time. And there are many uh, frequency domains of consciousness that express themselves as space-time locations. Um, the material world that we all inhabit is one particular frequency domain of consciousness, but even within that, there are many other, many different types of consciousness being expressed. 
And now you've come up with this cosmology of seven different levels. Can talk about that. Well, consciousness can be either in the deep sleep state or um, in the dream state or the waking state or the transcendental state or the cosmic state or what we call divine consciousness and ultimately unity consciousness. They are progressively um, expanded states of con- uh, consciousness. So the dream is um, a little more aware than the deep sleep and the waking a little more aware. When you glimpse your soul, you become aware of the observer in the midst of the observation. So there's an ever-present witnessing awareness. When that ever-present witnessing awareness is present in waking, dreaming, and sleeping, this local and non-local awareness at the same time frequently referred to in wisdom traditions as cosmic consciousness, to be in the world and not of it. When the ever-present witnessing awareness is uh, awake in the objects of perception, that's called divine consciousness. And finally, when the ever-present witnessing awareness in the subject of experience and the object of experience become one, that's called unity consciousness. And it's your experience that people travel between them, or they get to a certain level and then and then kind of bounce back and forth, or what do you think? Each state is transcended and included uh, as one expands consciousness. So one has the um, freedom to go back and forth, um, but one is usually anchored in one. And where are you? I never answer that question because I don't think of myself as a person. And I I heard that answer the other day. I think that's clever. Um, what does that What does that really mean? It's a, it's a it's a great answer, I, but I'm not. I think you know, for people to to um, ask that question is somehow to project onto me certain attributes that I may or may not have, and it's um, it's a temptation that I never succumb to. Isn't he wonderful? I love the way he. I really do love the way he answered that question. And last night on Larry King, uh, they were talking about. Uh, longevity and Larry asked how old are you and he says I don't remember anymore and I really believe that he he's being genuine and has just shifted his thinking to a certain place and then he mentioned but I have grandchildren so I must be moving up there (laughs) but they talked about your internal age and and it is about internal age planes of consciousness Uh, Jesus said in my father's house are many mansions but he didn't say that was Greek but but would translate in consciousness there's many levels of dimensions of consciousness, yeah. and here's Jesus two thousand years ago. Imagine a bunch of there uh, sitting there, and now here's Deepak now with quantum physics, still expanding our understanding of what's always been true. And you choose what vibration you're in. Well, what's your take on that? Do you? Do you, I? I I love the concept of these different planes. I mm-hmm. think I have trouble saying there's you know there are seven. To me, it feels like there's an infinite. It's like a grayscale. Well, and and uh, probably the, uh, Ken Wilber's done some awesome work on this, you know, compiling what the world knows. David Hawkins does a real intuitive knowing of, of levels of consciousness at a vibrational frequency using a logarithm from one to a thousand, and you can make up any system. Mm-hmm. But clearly, we know people that their center of gravity, and when I say center of gravity, that's where you tend to live, is in love. Mm-hmm. N- not enough, but that's where we all aim. Mm-hmm. And then we know people, don't we, that 
just tend to be angry. <laughs> you know, sure they have a good day, but boy, it just they're just pistols. Mm-hmm. I mean, just they're upset about the traffic, <laughs> the government, the people, their kids, the lawn, the newspaper. You just hear them. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear people uh, that are just depressed. Mm-hmm. You see uh, people that are really grateful. You see people that tend to have genuine acceptance. Mm-hmm. And so there is something about where you tend to stop. You know, not that in any given day, not any of us could be depressed or on any given day, not all of us could feel love Mm -hmm. on any given day. All of us could experience anger. So but it's where do you tend to hang out? Mm -hmm. And I think that as we grow, spiritual growth, development, unfoldment is about learning to aim higher. Mm -hmm. And so it's the Apostle Paul. I go back. You know, it's all of this is if and if I was Hindu, I'm sure I'd be quoting the Bhagavad Gita. Mm -hmm. But this was my text. Mm -hmm. And we were always told, make love your aim. Mm -hmm. Not that, you know, we'll get there all the time, but make it your aim. And we know now about intention, Deepak's huge on intention. Mm-hmm. Set your intention to be the most loving, most wise, most kind you can be today. And then I will share, and I hope we got some of it, um, how important it is to understand everybody listening and everyone on the planet has a shadow. Mm-hmm. And once you can accept your and embrace your own, you become much more tolerant and kind and compassionate with others. Mm-hmm. And so when we understand that, um, we're all evolving. We're all growing. And he really, um, he said at dinner, he said, we've all had millions of incarnations. And I, I stopped and I actually went home and got out the book about how long we'd been developing. Like, And it was 15 billion years is what scientists speculate. And I thought, oh, I guess you could. <laughs> but we would have to evolve from other things other than humans. Yeah. But but it was amazing how he he's, he's just knows. Well, I like this lot. idea about the shadow. He says that. That's what makes us interesting because he told a, a fantastic story that I don't think we can do justice to. It. But basically, he went to a seminar and there was this woman who came up to him and he said, I need three hours of your time. Oh. <laughs> and he said, well, I, I can't do it. There are all these people here. I came all the way from Mexico. I, I'm, there are a lot of other people came from Mexico. I just can't do it. Did you call my office first and did you explain what you wanted? I sure did. And what did my office say? They said you couldn't do it. Well, I can't do it. And then this woman went into a long tirade. Tirade of attacking him, calling him names. All these words in front of all these people. And he just stood there and took it. And then he went to his room and meditated and then wrote down a list of all the things he didn't like. And then when he had that list, he he thought something about it. He called his publicist and said, have you ever noticed any of these attributes in me? And he read the list. And then the publicist didn't say anything. And then he called his wife and... He read the list to her, and she didn't say anything. And he realized that he possessed all those attributes in this person that he didn't like. Mm-hmm. And he says that's what makes us interesting is the balance. Well, maybe interesting. What's interesting to you might not be interesting to me. But from a um, understanding quantum physics for the universe, and Hinduism teaches that there's three uh, uh, balances that cre- comes into creation. There's sattva, which is the progressive light calling us forward Mm -hmm. and there's the tamas and we all have everything in creation has these dynamics and tamas is the inertia the dark the i'm not moving you can't change me and then there's raja is like okay i got a new goal i saw the secret i'm gonna set intention i'm gonna go 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 well if you watch people that are driven they kind of create a lot of havoc too but (laughs) sattva is the loving you know evolution well what he said quantum physics what we know is that if everything was light and you took away all inertia 
the universe would take a split second to explode beyond. It would just go out of out of control. On the other hand, if there was only dark, only inertia, it would only take a nanosecond for it to implode on itself. Implode on itself. And so it's a balance. But the good news is that you said you try to have the light just a little bit of ahead of the dark. I like that. I like that. That's a little awesome. bit ahead of the dark. And, and so here's Hinduism, what, 4,500 years ago, talking about mm-hmm. this balance. Mm-hmm. And here quantum physics comes along and tries to explain that. And, um, but it, it is, yeah, it makes it interesting. On the other hand, it, it, keeps, creation, it keeps things in form. And um, that's one of the things I, I was really impressed with as I listened to Deepak, David Hawkins, um, Ken Wilber, some of the great evolutionary teachers of consciousness, compile it, bring it together, is unity and new thought made such an important correction to a standardized religion that thought God's will for you could be death, illness, poverty, when God never meant for that. I mean, you know, Jesus said, you know, my joy might be in you, peace that has understanding, abundant life, you know, but everything comes out of consciousness. So it made a correction, but maybe it overcorrected and mm-hmm. it forgot the balance. It forgot the shadow that that is a part of our evolving. And, and when I got done listening to Deepak, I had such compassion for myself and everyone else. We're all, you know, it, we always say you're doing the best you can, but we really are doing mm-hmm. the best we can today. Absolutely. Today. So in this next cut, Deepak talks about autistic children and a gentleman in London named Christopher Robinson. Oh, what an interesting man. Yes. Okay. One of the things that, that I thought was fascinating is you've been doing some research with autistic children. Tell us about that. Well, autistic children frequently display abilities that normal people don't have in that they can tune into frequency domains of consciousness that the editing mechanisms of the normal brain, which is conditioned by the hypnosis of social conditioning, cannot tune into. So some autistic children have uh, mathematical or musical abilities. Some have calendar abilities. Some can sense objects uh, as energy fields. Some can uh, actually look into the future and the past in a particular day and tell you exactly what was happening in a certain location of space-time. I think um, when the brain is damaged in any way, and this can happen with trauma, it can happen with um, with uh, sometimes brain tumors, it can happen in near-death experiences, some of the so-called normal editing mechanisms, um, they go, they die out. Mm-hmm. And so one has access to non-locality. So you, you shared this fascinating story about a kid who... Um, sort of had a premonition about September 11th, an autistic kid. Can you can you share that? Yeah, he's an 11-year-old boy who actually had a visual experience of airplanes going into the Twin Towers or buildings that look like the Twin Towers. And he was very scared when he had that experience. He mentioned it to his mother a day before it happened. And uh, she didn't know what he was talking about till it happened. And you've been doing some uh, research, or you, you, there's a gentleman, Christopher Robinson, in, in London. Tell us about him. Chris Robinson is known in England as a dream detective. And, um, if you ask him a question about something like, uh, you know, a murder that's happened, and to find the location or the person who was responsible for the murder, he can ask that question and access that information in a dream very frequently, and he's quite reliable. And and you were doing some research with him specifically. Um, you want to share that story? 
It's a long story, but uh, to make a long story short, he had uh, access to non-local domains, and we were able to verify it. And then somebody used that ability to make personal profit uh, on a betting scheme in Las Vegas, which threw Chris into a, um, a psychotic episode because, uh, as I mentioned in my lecture, there's a thin line between psychosis and being a seer or a genius. Uh, they all tread the same razor's edge between realities. Are there some historical figures who you think... Uh uh, walked that thin line, Ramakrishna in recent times, for sure. And are there? Do you, do you suspect that there are people, perhaps uh, in mental institutions today, who 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 are walking that thin line and are just misdiagnosed? Well, it's not misdiagnosed. You know, um, if a person is um, not able to integrate their higher consciousness with their normal reality, then they are definitely dysfunctional. So it's not misdiagnosed. I think we just um, don't. Uh, recognize that consciousness um, can express itself in many domains and when there's lack of integration between one and the other then the person does become dysfunctional and should be treated that thin line is interesting that idea that especially what you know when he talked about chris robinson he didn't really go into the story much but this dream detective in london had these dreams of planes crashing into towers, and because he had a good connection with uh, Scotland Yard, well, he, actually, can I just interrupt? Sure. He w- he's a caretaker, like a janitor well, caretaker. Yeah, just, yeah. But they called him in to kind of. He, he's very humble, <laughs> very ordinary man, and the detectives of Scotland Yard would call him in when they had cases. Right. He's, he's, this isn't like this is. Yeah, he's not, not like is, on their payroll, like yeah. the medium. You right. know? <laughs> so he had this dream, and it was uh, very vivid, and he let Scotland Yard know about it, and Scotland Yard put a memo together and sent it to. The the National Security Agency, and they received it on September 10th, 2001, according to Deepak. And uh, the NSA didn't know what to do with it. They said, we don't deal with dreams, and they just kind of disposed of it. On the 12th of September, Chris Robinson was arrested in London because the dream was so accurate. The people at NSA and the security agencies in England said there's no way he could know all this stuff without having been a collaborator. Describe the order of the planes hitting mm-hmm. the towers, the, uh, describe the, the twin towers as they collapsed in detail mm-hmm. to the fine, because he was seeing it. Right, because he, was, he yeah, saw it in his dream. It, yeah. So it's that thin line. It's and he was actually incarcerated for weeks for, and I think weeks, he said, yeah, months, several weeks, uh, three months, uh, for because they thought he was a conspirator, because mm-hmm. there's no way he could have had this kind of detail. And it's, ju- it's just amazing to, to, to see how you know our consciousness can travel mm-hmm. and and the fact that there is no such thing as time and space and when you get into that level you can do this type of remote viewing mm-hmm. and uh, it's very powerful and the fact that uh, they were going to do some research studies and and uh, they had a, a benefactor who was going to kind of uh, bankroll all of this and that person decided that hey I, I know how to get my investment back he took Chris Robinson to Las Vegas, and that's where he um, didn't do so well on the tables. He had basically a psychotic attack, and he was into a hospital. And I understand now he's okay. He's back in England. but um, Working as a caretaker. Working back as a caretaker. Occasionally being called into Scotland Yard. And, and one of the things that Deepak mentioned is and their, their intention of doing research with him was very pure. Mm-hmm. 
and to understand how people have the ability to tap into mm-hmm. what is referred to in the East, the Akashic Records, or if, if we understand consciousness as consciousness, there is no, it's interesting, there's no beginning before Abraham was, I am. You know, I mean, these are, this, the people in Christ consciousness, this is, they tap into it mm-hmm. at different realms. But when it was misused, um, the man had the psychotic breakdown, mm-hmm. and then Deepak's research just went. They, Deepak is fascinating on his research, Jim. I mean, he is the real deal. I had dinner with him, and he he's been to India. They they follow every lead. They go see all of these different people. And he told some stories. You know, when people have the ability to know you and to know every detail of your life, it's pretty phenomenal. Um, and we need to know that the wonderful sponsors, Myrna Stone and Maui Real Estate. Um, Real Estate Maui style. And Trish Morris and Premier Mortgage. So we want to say thank you to them and ask you to stay listening because we have several more segments with Deepak Chopra. And um, what a... Uh, what a powerful, potent, and we want to talk about some of his books. People can go online and get some of his information because he really is downloading a lot of important information. We'll be Thanks right for back. listening. Conversations with Friends with Mary Omwake is a presentation of Unity on Maui. We are a transdenominational community. If you'd like to join our families of sponsors on Conversations with Friends, please call us at Unity at 242 9327. There's a reason that Hawaii's premier mortgage company has successfully completed over $2 billion in loans for the people of Maui. With over 20 years of experience and a 99% loan completion rate, Trisha Morris and Premier Mortgage have earned the trust of thousands of Maui homeowners. Where mortgages are concerned, don't leave anything to chance. Go with number one. Call Trisha Morris and her team of magicians today. 874-8800. That's 874-8800 for Hawaii's premier mortgage company. And now back to conversations with friends. In this, um, well, we do want to we want to thank uh, all of our sponsors who make the program possible, including the amazing real estate publication, Real Estate Maui Style. Uh, Myrna Stone does an amazing job on this publication. Every month, it's filled with articles and pictures and things that. Even if you aren't looking for a house right now, you want to pick up because the content is so good. And in this month's issue, there's a wonderful survey about Maui 2050. A sustainable Maui. And all of us are interested in that. And uh, all of us are part of this. Those of us who are fortunate enough to have come here in the last 5, 10, 15 years, and those who you know have been here and born here, how can Maui sustain what makes it so sacred, so precious, so wonderful, and allow the people who already live here to continue to live here and not give itself away. And it's, a, it's not going to be a simple problem. But um, this survey is a beginning, a sustainable Maui. We are an island. Global warming is happening. Even Rush Limbaugh, even though he said it's not, um, I, uh, I think <laughs> right the research is... Program. Yeah, the ocean is up <laughs> six to eight inches yeah. around the world. That, that's not much. Doesn't sound like much, except I'm 30 feet from the shore. But, you know, I, we trust. But um, Pick up but a copy just, of Real Estate Maui Style and, and, and take the survey and be a part of it. Yes. And, and then I also, too, I am so excited because our second catalog, our second mm. quarter 
of Unity School for Spiritual Transformation and Leadership is out. It came out with Easter. It'll be in the mail. It's going to be online. These are classes and programs for the Emergent Soul Gym, and you were a part of the first quarter. You taught your wonderful, wonderful one-day workshop. On congruent marketing, and uh, we had, I think, 40-something people there. And Gary, our engineer, has signed up for my class, which is going to be on May 5th. Well, we got more positive. Please, number one, bring it back. Um, and we do invite you. That's going to be Sanco de Mayo, mm-hmm. a wonderful Saturday, three hours that really seed you. One of the women taking the class was got laid off from her job, got so tuned on to being congruent with her intention, with her family values, with what she wanted, made a list of exactly what she was, wrote it down, mm-hmm. and was interviewed by an employer. And she made her request so clearly she got everything that was on her list because she was totally aligned and you taught her how to really organize it and present it so well she's thrilled she's actually started that job this week so i do know that it really really works and then i do want to take a minute because the catalog's not in most people's hands unless you're at the easter service and this week Mm -hmm. we started the wisdom series this is ongoing so you don't need to uh feel like oh you missed something we will continue david hawkins is who will be featuring uh for the next few months, that's Monday nights at 6.45. We invite you to be there. And then on Wednesday nights, Bonnie, your canon starts the Jesus discussion, looking at the parables of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's at 6.45. That starts this week. That's why I wanted to take time. And then on Thursday night this week, I mean, I feel like yeah, one of those. packed week. Yeah, it's a fabulous week. Leaho Ryder, who mm-hmm. um, won the season for Peace and Nonviolence Award along with Hanoa Ola. They were on last week for that wonderful contribution they've made Mm -hmm. for Sacred Life on Maui and for all the world. Uh, 6.30, Thursday night, she'll be here talking story. They call it um, Hawaii on a talk story, which means you can come down and and ask, what's the tradition? What does that word mean? Mm -hmm. I hear people say that. Tell me how that works. And she's just the living thing. So it's just so amazing. And that's just this week. And then coming up, we've got breath work and Starting on Sunday the twenty second is that that's a week and a half, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you know the secret has just gotten everybody's attention, and everybody's watching it, and people are talking about it. How would you like to go to a ten week class where every week you'd watch a little bit of the movie, and actually take a single principle and apply it to your life, and be with like minded people? And uh, Patricia Cran and Andrea Henke, who've been working with it for six months themselves, so they're really involved in it. Um, that's going to start Sunday the 22nd. And then one of the big things you were talking about, levels of consciousness, planes of consciousness. We have um, David Livingstone, who's world-renowned, and um, he's going to talk about creativity, mm-hmm. creativity unleashed. And, that, I mean, he's <laughs> an amazing communicator, and that's Saturday, April 21st, 1030 to 430. So you can go online, Unity on Maui, pick this up. So many things coming up. Relationship workshop, and it's a brand new one with John and Natalie Tyler. If you All want a copy of brand this, new. If you want a copy of this catalog, call oh, us at the church. Yeah. 242-9327. We'll make sure that your name is added to our mailing list. Going out, and you'll get a copy going out of Thursday. It. Yeah. And a, go online, unityonmaui.org. Yeah. Call Unity Church, 242-9327. Find out about classes on movement and yoga and retreats and meditation. It goes all over. This catalog goes through June, but I did want to, because people didn't have them in their hands, I want to let you know we started some great classes, and they're ongoing. They're ongoing, so we're really thrilled. Okay, well, let's go back to Deepak Chopra, because... um, 
in this in this next cut, mm-hmm. uh, Deepak and I talk about Deepak's personal journey, the role of karma and good and evil. Oops, going to cover Your the ground. Your personal journey has been a long one to get you to um, where you are today. And, and I know that you started this uh, uh, exploration of consciousness years ago. How, how has it evolved, and are you at all surprised? Um, yeah, I'm surprised every day, and that's the. Um, I guess that's the secret to stay surprised. I never made any plans about uh, consciously doing anything. What's the role of karma in your life? The role of karma in anyone's life is the same. The past determines the circumstances of the present. What you do with those circumstances is up to you. And so, you know, there's there's this concept of karma versus free will. Where do you weigh in on that? How are they connected? How are they different? Uh, karma is um, deterministic. And free will is a function of the degree of how expanded your consciousness is. So they both are simultaneously operating. Do you find it makes perfect sense to you because of the the interwoven nature of those two? Yeah, if you're unconscious or relatively unaware, then you live in a deterministic universe. If you're enlightened, you live in a universe of uh, freedom. In fact, that's what it's called, moksha freedom. When you t- when you talked about um, the on the higher levels of consciousness, when you talk about how um, evil and good are, are kind of woven together, is that a similar concept? No, evil and um, and good are interpretations that we make in particular states of consciousness. Uh, good is the um, interpretation of the evolutionary impulse in the in the universe. And evil is the interpretation of the inertia in the universe or the destructive impulse in the universe. And they're both necessary for um, creation because creation is uh, through contrast. If there's no contrast, then there's no experience. And all experience is through contrast. So good and evil are cosmic forces that are interpreted in different states of consciousness. So if you're scared, then good is uh, safety. And evil is danger. If you are um, in the um, uh, competitive mode, ego mode, then good is fulfilling ego desires like money, fame, and fortune. And evil is threat to that. If you're in the intuitive mode, then good is understanding, and evil is lack of understanding or self-betrayal. If you're creative, uh, then good is the creative uh, evolutionary force and uh, evil is the threat to creativity. Only when you get to the more expanded states of consciousness that you realize that good and evil are cosmic forces that keep the relative uh, drama of existence uh, going. It is fascinating. It is fascinating. And and one of the things that I still don't quite get, and I and I'm, I want to ask you about this, is this is this role of this duality of karma and free will. Mary? Well, I, and I think what Deepak and David Hawkins would say, and it blows people's minds, and, and, and it's, it's the same frame as quantum physics is not just strange. It's stranger than you can even think. Mm-hmm. Until you're in Christ consciousness, you can't understand it. But if you see that everything arises uh, out of past what you've done, you've seeded it, mm-hmm. it rises. At the same time, you have as much choice as you have awareness. So that truly, someone that doesn't know 
doesn't have choice. Mm -hmm. Just like someone's totally asleep and they're sleepwalking. Uh, and they go to the refrigerator and eat food, do you blame them? Or if they get in their car and sleepwalk, and we've actually had this happen, documented, people sound asleep, <laughs> actually drive their car, yeah. no memory. If they have an accident, are they to blame? And this is a very big question. And, you know, I think you take it into your meditation and you take it into your heart. But very clearly I heard both David Hawkins and Deepak say, that there really is no free choice until you're fully awakened. And yet at the same time, there's the impulse to go towards the light. It's kind of like a seed in the ground goes towards the light. And you're, if, if today, if, you know, one of the things I read years ago, if today you get up and you love the very best you can and you do the very best you can, you'll evolve. And I like that. That, just a that very, appeals you know, more to my simple mind. The very best you can and do the very best because we're, we're all going to blow it. I mean, how many <laughs> of us have said, uh, I'm going to be patient with my child today. I'm really going to. And then the very first thing out of your mouth is not that. And yet your, high, your mm-hmm. deepest journey was to be patient with mm-hmm. your child. And I'm, that's just one example. But some impulse. It was just, oh, the devil made me do it, which is in certain people's worldview. That's true. The mm-hmm. devil made me do it. Then as we evolve, we realize, ooh, that's my shadow that might have made me do it. But as we evolve more and more, even um, even Jesus came in, you know, towards the last week with calling people villainous vipers and, you know, it kind of, you know, cleared out the temple. And, you know, for someone who everyone says he just sat there and owned and he was just so loving and kind and all that stuff, he there were a few moments, you know, where he had those experiences. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, uh, at, at, you know, we do the best we can all the time. Love all you can. But it's fascinating to just sit for people who are interested in that. A book to get, I think, that helps Jim is called How to Know God. And in it, Deepak Chopra goes over the different levels of where you are in consciousness. Mm-hmm. And it shows how you view God mm-hmm. and how you view good and evil. And it's at the level of your understanding. Mm-hmm. It's just like, um, and, and all of us can get that. Mm-hmm. So as someone like the Dalai Lama, who lost one-sixth of his people, a million, pe- oh, six million people in his country, one million killed, mm-hmm. lost his country, lost his temples, been in exile, genuinely, when you're there, has total deep love and mm-hmm. compassion for the Chinese whose poverty and he always seeks to understand whereas most of us at our level of understanding that would just be more than we could get more than we could do mm-hmm. but we could aspire to it mm-hmm. we could aspire to it and um, it's because there have been people like Jesus Gandhi said Mahatma Gandhi he said because someone like Jesus lived I cannot be discouraged and, you know, so there are people that have that higher vibration, total yeah. understanding. Well, you, well, you mentioned the the previous pope earlier in this broadcast. Mm. I was just talking about him last night and the remarkable compassion that he exhibited when he went to the person who had uh, tried to assassinate mm-hmm. him and totally forgave him. Mm-hmm. And that really... You know, when you when you can go to it, it's it's when you can put a face and look mm-hmm. into the eyes of the person who fired a gun to assassinate you, and forgive and you me. know now that you know that the when the uh, Soviet Union fell, a lot of people aren't aware of how powerful behind the scenes the Pope was mm-hmm. in that movement. Mm-hmm hugely powerful. You know, we like to give uh, individuals one or two of the credit, but he played a major mm-hmm. role in that. So he was very s- able to take strong stands, mm-hmm. didn't need to take all the credit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 
it, it's, it's a pretty it's a pretty amazing thing what is good and evil yeah. and uh, I, I think Jesus said don't have enemies pray for them and on the other hand most of us could make a list mm-hmm. and I like one of the exercises that Deepak gave us that you referred to when he did that exercise about the negative qualities within himself is he had us write down mm-hmm. someone we really really admired and then write down someone that just pushes our buttons mm-hmm. And then write down five characteristics of the person we really admire. And then write down those five characteristics of the person just pushes your buttons. And I won't say who I chose, but it was quite a rascal. <laughs> and I knew it was coming. And then he says, look at the positive ones, fools, you're yours. He had someone and in the audience read their, po- yes, five, their positive yes, qualities. Yes, and then, the, uh, and then she read hers. What was it? Arrogant, yeah. mean-spirited, selfish. And, you know, just, and, and he goes, oh, yes, and meet your other and self. Those are the other <laughs> side. That's the other side. It's fascinating. It the is. stuff he does is great. In this next segment... Uh, he talks about a new addiction center that oh. he is building in San Diego. Mm. I understand that you are building or are already in the process of putting together a, a treatment facility for those with addictions, but doing it at it, coming at it from a spiritual angle. We actually already have the facility in uh, near Carlsbad, and we're looking for zoning uh, permission, having a bit of a problem there because people in the neighborhood are scared. <laughs> What um, what's going to be your unique angle on this? Well, addiction is a memory to a substance that has been interpreted as giving ecstasy or pleasure. So if you can replace the um, that experience with a higher experience of exaltation or ecstasy of spirit, then you can overshadow the memory even though you can't get rid of it. That's very clever. Has, has anyone been doing that up until this point? In Ayurvedic traditions, that's the you know suggested way of treating tradition. And Alcoholics Anonymous, in a way, does it because they recommend meditation as one of their 12 steps. What do you think causes addiction in the first place? Uh, addiction is um, an escape route from the inability to control your environment or your relationships, and it's uh, also the memory of a pleasurable experience, even though it was toxic, it was initially interpreted as pleasurable. So it's a, it's a, it's a attachment to a memory. You know, that's fascinating because, you know, addiction, whether it's shopping, gambling, or to a substance, to food, um, that's my addiction, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a memory of a pleasurable thing. So you're wired for it. It's not mm-hmm. like you can just have willpower to say, oh, because it's, it's like coated with pleasure when mm-hmm. anxiety comes up. And that's what it, it's an escape route from having to feel that anxiety or terror. And immediately you go to that. And David Hawkins has, has an exercise that I'm working with. I just started today, Jim. Yeah. Because uh, we're doing the David Hawkins series. And what he tells you is, if you're familiar at all with Eckhart Tolle's work mm-hmm. on um, – uh, the pain body, mm-hmm. which is, you know, where it takes over. You just feel this anxiety or fear or terror or whatever is going on in your body. You just watch it. You don't label it. You don't um, try to figure it out. What you do in therapy, it. you just watch what it's doing in your body. Yeah. And you watch what it comes up and it tries to take over. And you give you a thought, project out, make you angry at somebody or get you to talk about it. You just watch it. And as you watch it, you just give it your attention, but mm-hmm. you don't label it or get into the story it wants you to tell. Eventually, it goes away. So he says with food, 
And that's, of course, the primal one. And it's just associated with all kinds of terror and trauma and all kinds of things. Different people have different history. That for one to two days, he says, all it takes is every time you're hungry, you never eat. You watch what comes up. You notice where you feel it. And you... And so, and then hunger doesn't last. I mean, if you, anybody's watched it, it comes. If you've ever done a fast after a, a day, after a while, yeah. But the, and you may have just strong hunger pain. And that, but if you just watch it and notice what is going on in your body, because here it again, it's a memory. Something has triggered anxiety. Something's come up, and it's faked. It feels like hunger, and in, because hunger is so terrifying, you go ahead and put something in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Now you've reinforced eating as taking away. So huh. now you get this continual, continual. Now what happens to anybody that's oh, eaten too much is now guilt kicks in. Now, <laughs> they, now it's the cycle. Now you've got the anxiety, the bad feeling. The, the pain comes up. The stomach starts to, it feels like hunger. You feed it again. Mm-hmm. So it, ne- it just perpetuates itself throughout your whole life. So now he says that. Anyone listening to me, you can try it and see if this works. It'd be interesting because I'm on day one. I don't want to do this. Every time you're hungry, you just watch it. But do you eat at now, all? Oh, yes. Now, but the other part of that is, you, well, you know you normally get hungry at 7.30, right. so you eat at 7. And oh. and if hunger comes up, you just watch it, and you wait till it goes away, and then you eat. But you, you eat ahead of getting hungry. So That's if you normally are hungry at 6 o'clock, if you kind of know your rhythm, you mm-hmm. get hungry around 12, 12, mm-hmm. 15, then at 11.30, you have something interesting. He released, dropped 50 pounds over this and you never have the struggle and he says it takes Eat about a day when you're going to get hungry. you know when you're going to you get hunger before because now you're not reinforcing what is associated with trying to control trying to and terror all the things that you just are underneath the anxiety i mean mm-hmm. underneath the desire so um as fast as well i'll tell you next week if it works um but it's it's the same thing what deepak said about that so his new treatment center is going to use unconditional love which is the 12-step program, very much, unconditional love. That's fascinating. It well, is we fascinating. Have, we have uh, two more cuts. Let's, let's listen to the next one of his view of what's happening on the world stage. You know, you have a unique perspective on all of the, the evolving consciousness of the world, and you certainly, um, uh, we'll call it uh, elbow to elbow with a lot of the very transformative leaders today. What do you see as happening in the world today as as we move closer towards a more enlightened culture or do you feel that the political uh, dialogue is such that it moves us away from that? What's your sense of, of where we are? Ultimately, reality is an expression of collective consciousness and I actually have no idea where we are. I think there's two possibilities. One is that nature might decide that the human experiment was not a successful experiment and therefore, you know, we could be in the junkyard of infinity uh, and it wouldn't make a bit of difference to the universe. I mean, after all, we are one speck of dust in a huge void somewhere in the junkyard of infinity. On the other hand, we could take that ecstatic impulse collectively and actually because through the human nervous system, the universe seems to be becoming self-aware, we could participate in um, the future evolution of not only humanity but the whole cosmos. Uh, Personally speaking, I'm not attached to either. You're just going along with the ride. One of the things that we like to do in conversations with friends is ask people what their daily practice is. What's your daily practice? I practice two hours of meditation every day. I usually exercise. I haven't been able to do that here. 
but usually exercise one and a half hours and uh, the rest of the day I just go with the flow. And do you do, you do this in the beginning of the day and then I get into usually your... usually do it between four and seven in the morning, yes. Uh, one of my favorite books is probably the first book I ever read of yours was Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. Um, what's your favorite book that you've written? My favorite book is always the last one I've done. So <laughs> at this moment, it's called Buddha, A Story of Enlightenment. The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success is going to be a feature film in three weeks with Olivia Newton-John, actually. Really? Tell us about that. That's it. It's a feature film with Olivia Newton-John produced by 20th Century Fox. So are you are you going to be involved? I'm sure there'll be a lot of Hollywood pre- premieres, etc. Uh, maybe, but if there are, I'll probably be going to at least one, but not more. As you look at the popularization in, ma- in mass media of some of these things, like like that movie, The Celestine Prophecy, uh, Dan Millman's Way of the Peaceful Warrior, and of course, The Secret, what's your thought? My thought is that all these movies, including mine, are very ordinary and people are so hungry for this knowledge that they'll see mediocre stuff. Uh, we don't have the budgets at the moment or the creative uh, skills that Hollywood has to produce really good f- films, but it's a sign that people do want this stuff. What is your take on The Secret? I think there's some truth to the fact that uh, consciousness giving attention to a certain aspect in its uh, my in in imagination can create a certain effect outside, but I think um, the secret um, is a simplistic approach that will work um, to some extent, but it oversimplifies consciousness is much grander than just you know trying to get a car and even the idea to get a car well. Uh, you know, a fancy car or a Ferrari, well, you know, there's genocide in Darfur seems a little banal to me. I've been watching television this morning, and um, it's all about pet food and, you know, the scandals around pet food. Well, millions of children in the world are starving. So I think sometimes um, trivializing consciousness and not looking at the big picture can in the long run be destructive. Well, let's talk about pets for a second. You were sharing your story about uh, Rupert Sheldrake, and he was just on your radio program. Um, What do you think about the connection between um, animals and humans? I think all life forms uh, come from one consciousness. So at the deeper level, everything is uh, not only communicating with everything, but is inextricably woven into everything else's activity. This in physics is called non-local correlation. Animals not being hypnotized by the uh, social norms or the hypnosis of social conditioning are more tuned into nature. So when, for example, the tsunami uh, hit um, Southeast Asia, uh, 150,000 people perished, but not one single animal uh, was found to be dead if it was, um, unless it was domesticated and tied you know, or in a confined environment. The animals felt the vibrations of the shock uh, two, three hours before the actual tsunami hit the shores and they ran away went to the mountains. So I think what are called psychic abilities are really uh, dormant um, potentials in the field of consciousness that express themselves in 
animals and termites and ants and plants. Plants communicate with each other. You know, if you if you um, uh, infect a plant in one location, it'll inform a plant in a different location of the same species that there's an infection. You should make the appropriate antibodies. You are a man of science, obviously, being a physician. Um, one of the things that struck me is you said that yesterday's miracles are today's science. Well, science tries to understand the laws of nature. So, the, you know, there's nothing outside the laws of nature. But what we frequently call the laws of nature are also the habits of nature. And like habits that are difficult to break, nature once in a while breaks her habits, and we call them miracles. What are some miracles in your life that you've experienced? You know, I'm at a stage where I regard life as a miracle and the fact that we exist as a miracle. So everything else is trivial compared to that. You have uh, children. Do you have any grandchildren yet? I have two grandchildren. And when you look into their eyes and you look at their future, what do you see? In Rumi's words, the universe not yet born. So the the pure potentiality of, of everything. Deepak, what would you like to share with, with our listeners here in Maui and around the world who, who listen to this program? Just one sentence. Take it easy. <laughs> take it easy. <laughs> take Isn't it that easy. Great? Whoa, right from the 12-step program. Wow, take it easy. And, and yeah, take it easy. Wow. Jim, great interview. Thank you. That was Deepak Chopra, and we do thank Ram Das and Sridhar who made it possible. They do great retreats. I was telling people on Sunday, you want to know what's happening on Maui, either go on unityonmaui.org, and it links, or go on ramdas.org mm-hmm. um, because they, they have so many great people coming in, and they're bringing Michael Beck within, and we're going to get to do a co-sponsored program, and, and we're just really blessed. So we bless everybody listening on Maui today, and for those listening around the world on our uh, webcast, thank you, Jim, for setting that up. It was my pleasure, and, and I know t- we're getting thousands and thousands of people who listen to us on conversationswithfriends.com and via podcast. So call us or write to us or email us at unityonmaui.org, and um, we'd love to hear from you. We'll see you this Sunday at the celebration service. Yeah, back at the Seventh-day Adventist. We have a huge service this week, launching the eternal season of peace with Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. and the Dalai Lama. And then next week, uh, the 22nd, we're passing out those purple bracelets. If anybody saw them on Oprah or on the Today Show, uh, join us in creating a complaint-free Maui. We'll see you next Tuesday. Aloha. Mm-hmm.